So today, we are ending our deadly series where we've gone through the seven deadly sins. We'll finish that today. How many are glad this is to an end? <laughs> I mean, this is, it has been brutal. Like, but honestly, I don't want to, we don't want to shy away from the Word of God and what it has to say and the, the, even the hard parts of the Word of God, the full counsel of what God has to say to us for our lives. And it's, it's been kind of a stretch of heavy, heavy messages but I've appreciated, we as a teaching team have appreciated the feedback on, on these messages as well, because I, I haven't done them all. But we went through the book of James right before we started this, and it was like, boom, boom, James doesn't play, right? He, he, he puts it right on you, and then we went into this. But God's doing something. There's a purifying. There's a, a, a call, a challenge to follow Jesus wholeheartedly in every area of our life. And I would say this, to kick off a, a mess, another message about a sin or sin in general is to remember this. The Christian life begins and ends with Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died on a cross for us brutally, but rose again in triumph over sin and death and, and the devil. And we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone because of him. And it's not, we cannot be his by what we do and don't do. We're his by faith. However, it doesn't stop there. And that's something that I feel like the Lord's emphasizing to the church is following, forgiveness comes when we trust Jesus as Savior, but we continue in following him as Lord. That means he gets to call the shots. That means he gets to to show us how to live. He's the, the boss of our life and that we ultimately are becoming more and more like him. So the seven deadly sins that we've looked at were, we looked at pride, anger, lust, gluttony, laziness, last week greed, and today we're gonna finish with jealousy. Jealousy, okay? So in Galatians chapter five, verses 24 through 26, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Wow, that's an important promise that when you trust in Jesus, our sin and sinful nature nailed to the cross. Why, are we, why do we not experience that on a daily basis? Here's what he says. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So by faith in Christ, we've nailed those sins to the cross. By walking in the Spirit, we walk in the newness of our new life that we've been given in Jesus. And some of you might be wondering, if we're talking about the subject of jealousy, doesn't the Bible teach in places that God's a jealous God? It does. You see that in several parts of, of the, you know, the Old Testament where God said, I'm jealous. I'm a jealous God. Well, there is a righteous jealousy and an unrighteous sinful jealousy. What we're talking about today is sinful jealousy. Righteous jealousy or being part of the nature of God and him saying he's a jealous God is God is not jealous for something he does not have. Sinful jealousy is being jealous for something you don't, you don't have or wanting something you don't have. God is jealous over what is already his, and that's his people. That's, that's who he is. He's jealous for that in a righteous way. And so 
for us to understand what jealousy is in a sinful sense and why it's a deadly sin is I'll give you a definition of what jealousy is. Jealousy is resenting God's goodness in others' lives while ignoring it in our own. It is resenting seeing God's goodness in somebody else's life while I ignore it in my own or don't acknowledge it. That is the heart of jealousy. That's sinful. And so in the the home groups, if you're in a home group, if you're not in a home group, let me encourage you to find one because we have some very thriving, flourishing groups. And part of our church uh, vision is to be a community that does life together where we help one another. So our home groups have been doing a supplemental study from the book Enemies of the Heart by Andy Stanley. And in that book, he talks about four enemies of the heart as well, which kind of just goes along with the Deadly Sins series. He says that one enemy of the heart is guilt. And when you feel guilty, it's because you've done something to somebody. We've offended God, we've hurt somebody. And so guilt says, I owe you. I owe you an apology. I owe you some form of restitution. And then the next enemy is anger. And anger is when somebody wrongs you. And you say to that person, you owe me. You owe me an apology. You owe me restitution. And then greed is where we say, I owe me. I owe me. So I'm going to be greedy and selfish and self-centered. Jealousy is, God, you owe me. God, my life didn't go the way I thought it should. You owe me. Why does somebody else prospering and I'm not? And it's, it's, it's resenting the goodness of God in somebody else's life and ignoring it in your own. Where does jealousy come from? James 4.1 says that jealousy is this. What is causing quarrels and fights among you, he says? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So it's that evil desires. You know, apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can be prone to, to evil. We can be prone to some bad stuff. And our hearts by themselves without the grace of God are prone to these wars that are inside of us. Where did that come from? I think there's two, two areas that, two words that can summarize jealousy and where jealousy comes from and why it's a sin. First of all, it's comparing. Comparing is the, the root of jealousy is when I compare my life, my looks, my money, my this to somebody else, it's easy to be jealous. Um, ironically, us as a ministry leader team, we watched this video this week by Craig Groeschel, who's a pastor in Oklahoma City, and um, he was teaching a group of pastors and church leaders uh, about comparing and not comparing ourselves to, to other people, because I tell you, as a pastor or leaders or churches, they can be some of the worst in comparing, you know, with, with, with other folks, and um, he said, if you, if you want to kill something that is special in your life, compare it with something else. You want to kill your, your, your marriage, compare your spouse to somebody else. And begin to think, I wish my spouse was like so-and-so. I wish my spouse was like this person. All of a sudden, you're killing something that's a gift from God. Your kids, your job, when you begin to compare it, 
you kill the specialness of it in your life. The second word that I believe causes jealousy is competition. So when we compare or we're competing with others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that's not on your notes, but if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26. Paul equates the Christian life as a race to be run, to to run for the prize, uh, that we're competing in a race. But his point in there is that we're not competing with one another, that this race that we're in is a race that God designed for you to run that's for you. You're not to run my race. I'm not to run your race. You're not to run your neighbor's race, your kid's race, whatever. You're to stay in your lane. If you picture a track, track meet, you know, they have lanes. God said, this is your lane. This is your race. Run it for my glory. Run in the the race that I've set out before you. But the problem is we often start comparing our race and our lane with somebody else's. And it causes jealousy on the inside of us and angst. And we start looking at somebody else's lane. Why don't I get to run in that lane? Why am I in this lane? That's where we find ourselves in trouble. In uh, the Gospel of John, I think gives, alludes to this competition between uh, John and Peter, the, the, the Apostle John and the Apostle Peter. Now, Jesus had 12 disciples, right? And he was super close with three of them, James, John, and Peter. And that doesn't mean that Jesus loved them more, but in human capacity, while he was on this earth, most of us don't have 12 best friends, right? You have two or three maybe that are your besties, right? Your BFFs. And they're your ones that you're close to. You don't have the capacity relationally and emotionally to have 12 best friends. So Jesus had these three guys that were super close to him. And within that, that, there was a competition that you can kind of see in the Gospel of John between John and Peter. And uh, Craig Groeschel pointed this out in this lesson that we were learning about comparing. He, he went to John chapter 20, where John chapter 20 is the, the day of the resurrection. And Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, and she finds it empty. And so she runs back to the disciples, the text says. And when she runs back, she finds Peter and John. She says, guys, Jesus isn't there. I don't know what happened. And it says that Peter and, and, and John, you got to catch this about John, is John referred to himself in the third person a lot. You ever been around somebody who referred to themselves? That's pretty annoying, right? I remember when Ricky Henderson became the all-time stolen base guy. He held up the, the, the third base and he said, Ricky is the greatest of all time. Dude, do you know how annoying and arrogant that sounds to talk about yourself in the third person? But John would call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he referred to himself. Now, I think it's kind of cool on one hand to find your identity in being the disciple whom Jesus loves, but I'm sure that was fairly annoying to the other apostles, right? The other disciples, okay, the disciple whom Jesus loves. But when he writes this, in, in John 20, he says that once they got the news that the tomb was empty, that they ran to the tomb. And the disciple whom Jesus loved had to put it in there that the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. <laughs> he wanted 2,000 years of history for people to know that he was faster than Peter. That's something you probably do, Brian, right? <laughs> 
I would. You're fast, man. Don't worry, I got more for Brian today anyway. Um, but what did they think? Why did you have to put that in there? I beat him. Well, you see, Peter, on the other hand, in chapter 21, um, it says, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? And in chapter 21, Jesus is on the outskirts of the lake, and he, they're cooking breakfast, and Jesus begins to restore Peter. And he, it's where he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. And then Jesus gives this prophetic word to Peter basically about how he was going to die. And Peter receives that, but he says, well, what about him, the disciple whom you love? You know, what about John? And Jesus says, what's it to you? Don't worry about him. If I want him to live forever, that's between he and I. He said, follow me. In other words, run your race, Peter. Don't try to run John's race or anybody else's. Run your race. Stay in your lane, Peter. Don't try to worry about everything else. And I think after Pentecost, it clicked for Peter. When the Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2, Peter was a different guy who wasn't finding his identity in anything other than Jesus. Because ultimately, we know from history that Peter died on a cross upside down that he was crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified like his Lord. That's a guy that had some serious change. In that same talk that we were listening to, um, Craig Groeschel was quoting Andy Stanley, and he said, Andy says, watch out for the land of Ur. Watch out for the longing of the land of Ur. And you're going, where's the land of Ur in the Bible? Well, the land of Ur is the land of bigger, <laughs> better, greater, richer. We're always longing for the er. It's got to be when we're comparing and when we're competing, uh, you know, who's got the nicer car, the nicer house, etc. And then Craig took it to a, a deeper level and he even said, watch out for the land of est, <laughs> biggest, greatest, baddest, right? I mean, richest. Because both of those, longing for that all the time, gets us out of our lane and trying to be somebody that God didn't call us to be. Um, why is this a deadly sin? It's deadly because it leads to other sins. If you take a notes, you can write that down. It, it leads to other sins. It's a gateway sin. You know how when it comes to drugs, they'll say certain drugs are a gateway drug into harder more, you know, dangerous drugs or whatever. Well, it's a gateway sin. James says this in James 3, 16, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So jealousy leads to lust. Jealousy leads to anger. Anger often leads to murder. You go back to Cain and Abel. The first sibling rivalry in the Bible, um, they bring their offering to God. God shows favor to Abel. Cain gets jealous, angry, and then murders his brother. So jealousy leads to other sins. The second reason that it, it, is it makes you sick. It's deadly. It's poison. It makes you sick. Proverbs 14.30 says, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like a cancer in the bones. You ever heard the phrase green with envy? A person's green with envy? Actually came from uh, Shakespeare. 
He called jealousy the, the, that, that, that person is green with sickness. Uh, you know, there's, there's an emoji, right? The guy's green and looks like he's about to hurl. <laughs> um, that's gr- being green because you're sick. Green with envy is sick with, with jealousy. The other part about that sickness of, of jealousy is jealousy makes you sad because you wish life was different for you. You wish you had this, you had that, and sadness leads to depression. And often we have to look at our lives like if I'm jealous, that leads to sadness and depression. It makes me you know, sick on the inside. I've seen this firsthand as a pastor As a human being, you've probably seen this too, of people who just wish their lives were different. Their lives didn't turn out how they thought it should. They're not happy. They don't like their spouse. They don't like this. They don't like that. And they want to do over at life. And they end up ruining marriages and families and and friendships and all kinds of situations because there was a jealousy and envy of somebody else's life. Now, if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, there's a cancerous spot on your skin. I need, to, I need to get that thing removed. You'd say, okay, let's do it right now, like ASAP. When do, when do I get there? And the same thing, we have to look at the in, internal cancer of jealousy. It needs to come off of our hearts. And I believe that if, if we will apply God's truth to our lives, and we will learn how to run our race and not somebody else's race, stay in our lane and not try to be in someone else's lane, you will, your life will change. And, je- and if you're dealing with jealousy right now in your life, God wants to do a work in you. So how do we rid our heart of jealousy? First thing, and I've already been alluding to this, is be about your own purpose and calling, not the purpose and calling of others. Be about your own purpose, excuse me, and calling, not the purpose and calling of others. Run your race. Stay in your lane. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I love this verse. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, and he says, for we are God's masterpiece. That's cool. What's a masterpiece? That's somebody's best work, right? We say Michelangelo's masterpiece, that's his best work. God is saying that we, as his being recreated in Christ, we are his best work. Find your identity in that. Not in what other people say about you or what the world says about you or magazines or commercials or anything else. You're God's masterpiece. I love that. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's the race that God's put out for you. He planned something for your life long ago. Now, David, in Psalm 139, he's praying to God and he's meditating on God creating him uh, from the beginning. And he says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. When's the last time you told God, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex? We probably think, I wish I looked like somebody else. I wish I could do this or that. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. 
You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's a pretty serious pro-life text right there, prayer. God knows people before they're even put together in, in, in their mother's womb. That's important. But I want to say this. We I hear it from people all the time. We get caught up so much sometimes in how we were born. We use words like it was an unplanned pregnancy. Um, it was an oops or an accident. And if that's the way you came in this world, I was told I was, I was an oops by my mom and dad. Uh, you know, thanks, I guess. I don't, I don't know, you know. Good way to build yourself. Where I got through, I powered through it somehow. But um, you may not have been planned by your parents, but you were planned by Almighty God. The Creator says you are not an oops. You are not an accident. There's no such things. God is the Creator, and to Him, He has a plan for you even before you were knit together in your mother's womb. He laid out a race for you. You cannot uniquely do what God has called you to do if you're constantly comparing with others in whatever lane they're in. Run your race. If you compare your gifts to somebody else's gifts, your uh, you know, advantages or disadvantages or whatever, it's, you're just not going to run the race like he wants you to run it. And the cool part about this is when you realize God has something special for me in my life, then you're free to cheer other people on in their race. Say, hey, come on, run your race. And, and it, you're free to celebrate God's goodness in somebody else's life rather than comparing or competing. Can you imagine if this church... We cheered each other on instead of competed with each other. We looked at, at in, in each other's lives and said, hey, I'm cheering you on. I got your back. Help me with mine. And run our own races rather than trying to run the race of somebody else. God didn't give me Corey Kirshenman's height. He's 6'10". I'm 5'8 and a half on a good day, right? Um, God didn't give me the physical stature of Joel Dennis. He's a big dude. Feel safe when I'm around that brother, right? Wherever we go. In, in Jerusalem, I wasn't worried. Joel usually took up the rear and made sure we were all moving forward. God didn't give me Brian's good looks, nor did he give me his joke skills, right? I mean, there's just one person that gets that set of skills. But here's the deal. I'm going to be me. And I think at 51 years old, it's starting to sink into my heart. That God has called me to be me. He's called you to be you. He hasn't called you to be me. He hasn't called me to be you and vice versa. So the quicker we get that, the more we rid our hearts of jealousy. Second thing is be a God pleaser. Be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. Ask yourself, well, yeah, answer this question. Make a choice today who or what is going to define my self-worth and self-esteem? Who or what is going to define my self-worth or self-esteem? And I'll tell you this, if it's anything or anybody other than Jesus, then you're not going to run the race that God's created you for. You're try you'll be tr busy trying to wear somebody else's shoes. And if I tried to wear Corey's shoes, that wouldn't look very good. Or Joel's shoes. I got to wear my own shoes. I got to walk in 
in, in my own shoes. Mark Bullion, our children's pastor, told us the other day that when he got hired at a, at a church years ago before Novation, that in his first staff meeting, just barely meeting people, one of the staff members said, hey, buddy, you got some big shoes to fill. Our first guy, our other children's pastor, he was something else. Oh, thank you. Like, can I wear the same clothes that he wore? Can I look, have the same haircut? What do you want me to do? And Mark said it in Mark's kind of Mark way. He said he took off his shoes and he put them on the table. And he said, I can only wear these shoes, man. And it was like, good for you, Mark. Wait. <laughs> yeah, ow, ow, or good job, Mark. I heard an ow out there. So in uh, Galatians 1.10, Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You can't please everybody, but you can please God. Do you know that God can't even make everybody happy all the time? He has the ability to, but how many people are mad at God, maybe even in this room? God, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. We can't please everybody, but you can please God. God has not called anyone in this room to be successful or to be important. He's called us to be faithful. He's called us to be faithful. Faithfulness is doing what God intends for you to do with your life, not what he's asked other people to do. And when we stand before him, he's not going to say, you know, well done, my good and successful, important servant. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thirdly, be grateful for what you have rather than worrying about what you do not have. Learn to be grateful for what you have, not what you don't have. Thankfulness kills jealousy like that. It is, uh, it's the weed killer. It kills the weed of jealousy in your heart when you begin to be thankful. I've heard somebody say once before that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but so is the water bill, right? Everybody's greener grass has something that comes with it that maybe you don't want. So what if you woke up tomorrow with the things you were thankful for today? I love that statement. Tomorrow I wake up with the things that I said, God, thank you for, fill in the blank. Ecclesiastes 6.9 gives us some, some great wisdom. He writes, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. Then Paul, from a prison cell, talks about contentment in chapter 4 of Philippians. He's in a prison cell, and he says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. And he's saying, if I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, I'm going to be content. If I have this or I don't have this, I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is used out of context so many times. You can do what God's called you to do through Christ who strengthens you. You can be content in every circumstance because contentment is not based on circumstances. Contentment, peace, and joy are based on Jesus in our, in our lives. People who have plenty, people who have want, have the, same, have the same problem, and it's discontentment. Let's learn to be thankful and content with what he's given us. And then the last point is really simple. If we're going to rid jealousy from our hearts, be ready to walk in love at all times. Be ready to walk in love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is not jealous. Say it with me. Love is not jealous. One more time. Love is not 
jealous. Where you have jealousy, you don't have love. It's just what he's saying there. When we're jealous, we're not walking in love. Here's what, what I want to do to bring this to a close. Is remembering that jealousy by definition is resenting God's goodness in somebody else's life while ignoring it in my own. Maybe just in, in this, just for a minute, a quietness of this minute, where are you resenting God's goodness in, in somebody else's life? Where do you think the grass is greener? Where's God convicting you of that right now? Where's the Spirit of God convicting you? You think somebody has what you should have. Maybe it's a promotion at work. It's a better car, better house, better looks, whatever. We got to train ourselves to thank God for his goodness in other people's lives. And then what can you be grateful for today and stop ignoring his goodness in your life? Just heard last night somebody that was part of Novation passed away. Pretty young, you know, 50s. And uh, life can be gone like that. None of us are guaranteed anything. So why don't we have an attitude that thanks God in every circumstance? Because it can change so quick. Your kids grow up so fast. People change. They, they can come and go quickly. Let's learn how to be thankful and content. Write it down. Write down what you're thankful for. Let's pray about, would you stand and let's pray about those two things. Whatever it is that God's convicting you of, where you're envious of his goodness in somebody else's life, may he cause you to see his goodness in your own life. And may you begin to celebrate it in other people's lives. God, this morning, we corporately confess to you the sin of jealousy. We confess it. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel that you died on the cross for this very sin and the other sins. and our sinfulness, you died and rose to new life so that we could have new life. Help us to live in that new life, walking in the spirit, grateful every moment for the preciousness of this life and the promise of the life to come in eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.